Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're reading verses 13 through, thir- through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And we have entitled this series of messages on this portion, Christ's Return, What Happens? So we have that question. Christ's return, what happens? And we are asking, what major events happen when Christ returns? A lot of things happening around and during the second, at the second coming of Christ. We're going to concentrate on the major outline, the major events that take place and that we can all subscribe to. A lot of details and nuances to the end times and the second coming of Christ. And of this, there has been no end of writing books and even making movies and things like that. Some unfortunate and some not very uh, on target and on point and others uh, better. But we want to look at the biblical record. And see what the major events are that surround and that happen at the second coming of Christ. And then more importantly, or even as importantly, we want to ask, how do they comfort believers? Do we have our sights, our hearts set on this important event, this hope for the Christian, which is the second coming of Christ? So let us read the passage, and then continue where we left off last Sunday. And the word reads, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Notice that this is a note that the Apostle gives us, which is of comfort to the church, of comfort to believers. So where should be my source of comfort? Where should I look? What is the ultimate hope of believers in Christ? What do we look forward to? What do we have as the substance and object of our faith? And no, it's not the economy, as much as we would like the economy to do good. And no, it's not, you know, a change of wind in the political halls of Washington, D.C., as much as that could be welcome. And no, it's not necessarily a change of events in our health for the better. These things are good, and we care for them, and we pray in that direction. But the main object and substance of the faith of believers, where we have state our chips, say, why are you a Christian? What is it that makes you tick and go? What do you look forward to? What, what do you meditate upon? What is it that you think about? What is it that you are waiting for? What, what is your breakthrough? What is the substance Of your hope. And the answer is here, family. 
It's the second coming of Christ and the resurrection. A new creation. That's what makes us Christians. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose for our sins, who came the first time, as we read last Sunday, concerning sin. In other words, to expiate, to provide atonement, to make reconciliation by His blood for sinners, and then to bring us into an everlasting hope. And the everlasting hope is culminated at His second coming. As we um, observed last Sunday, it is inaugurated with the first coming of Christ. Jesus Himself said, the kingdom of God is among you. And then He said, the kingdom of God is within you. And He spoke of the kingdom that would come, obviously after the events of His death, resurrection, and then the sending of the Spirit from the Father, uh, and the Son, and the Spirit of regeneration coming to our hearts, baptizing the church, and then sending forth the disciples for the gospel mission to the world to save sinners. That is the way that the kingdom has been inaugurated in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the fulfillment of all Old Testament promise in Christ Jesus uh, as regards sin. As regards sin and how to deal with it, God, ha God who promised has provided and has fulfilled every promise. And the answer to our sin problem is Christ Jesus in His death and resurrection. So we said that that has a, um, a past tense that we could say um, uh, look to our salvation. Past tense that definitely looks to the cross. 2,000 years ago, and then maybe looks to the moment when we were born again. The moment that the Holy Spirit came into our lives by the hearing of faith, the hearing of the gospel, removed our blinders, enlightened our minds to see and embrace and receive the truth of the gospel, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And thus we are regenerated, which means to be born again or to be born from above. Or to be born of the Spirit. So there is physical birth and there is then spiritual birth. That is the day that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives through the gift of faith. And we are reconciled and united with Christ to receive life forevermore. So that is the inauguration of the kingdom in terms of it, let's say it's past tense. Presently it continues. For those that have been regenerated, the Spirit of Christ indwelling us is drawing us unto Him. It's continually sanctifying us. And sanctification is a Christ-centered endeavor that the Spirit does in our lives, constantly bringing us to Him to the hearing of Christ, to the hearing of our union and benefits and hope in Him. And in that continual, present, progressive sanctification, now the Holy Spirit takes us every time that we gather and in our worship, He's always taking us back to His death to say, my death is the anchor of all reality, of newness of life, my death and resurrection. That's why we go to the Lord's table. Every time you do this, you remember my death. So notice, we'll look back. But we also look where? Forward. Jesus says, and we hear in the passage of the table, um, and I will not do this again until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. So notice, we're looking back. Looking back to the kingdom inaugurated, we are presently engaged in this kingdom that is active and alive and working and expanding in us and in the world spiritually. And then we're looking forward to the culmination and realization of our Christian hope at the second coming of Christ. That will be the consummation of the kingdom that has already been inaugurated in Christ Jesus. 
And this is then what Paul says, tells the church, be comforted with this. Find comfort in this. He says, do not sorrow, verse 13, as others who have no hope. We sorrow, for sure. We weep. And we see the events of this life, and we're all um, prone to accidents and illnesses and sorrows and problems. Why? Why is that? Because the kingdom has not been consummated yet. We have a, an issue with some of our Christian cousins who wants to receive all things of the kingdom now. You know, and they would banish disease and they would banish lack and they would banish suffering. And you hear the slogans, come to Christ and stop suffering. Come to Christ and get your miracle and your breakthrough and everything will be fine from here on after. Come to Christ and be totally healed and delivered. There is a partial truth there in the sense that with the inauguration of the kingdom, there is a type of healing that has begun to take place. We have been redeemed, reconciled with God, received the Holy Spirit. Our sins forgiven have begun to be sanctified. And God indeed is working providentially. What does that mean? According to His will in our lives to sustain us in our pilgrimage in this world. But when will disease be banished? When will lack and hunger and need and thirst and persecution and sufferings, when will they finally be put down and banished when the kingdom is consummated? At the second coming of Christ, unless we have that distinction, unless we truly know what our Christian hope is, we will not persevere now. Because notice what happens is when you blend the two, then you believe that the kingdom of God, which is in Christ and is now, you ought to have and to get all these things that false prophets and preachers are telling you that you ought to have and get and receive. And when you fail to get them or when you do get something, and then at some point it begins to not happen according to your anticipation or your expectations, then you begin to get frustrated, disappointed. And your faith begin to wane. And you think either that God has failed or that your faith is not strong enough to receive what you want to receive. True faith, we said last Sunday, is the waiting kind of faith. The waiting kind of faith that waits for Christ's second coming for the consummation of the kingdom. And it is only those that wait then that renew their strength. Isn't that what the Bible says? <laughs> yeah. It says those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Even though we go through a pilgrimage now, pilgrimage means that we're not home yet. And the second coming of Christ and the consummation of the kingdom of God is a homecoming when we finally come into the fullness of reception and realization and, and enjoyment of all that God has obtained and promised for us. It is armed with that mindset that we can face this world and the frustrations of it and the setbacks, and the ups and downs, and the, the vicissitudes of life, and the needs. There's so many wide range of experience that happen to us in a fallen, broken world. But in this fallen and broken world, the kingdom is already here. This is what theologians have called the already but not yet. And we Christians now live in the already, but not yet. Already kingdom here in some way. Why? Because Jesus Christ came the first time. Fulfilling all promise, He sent the Holy Spirit. And now the kingdom is among, among us. It's with you. It's within you. It's in the body of Christ. And it's spreading. 
through all the world, saving sins and filling up the full number that God has in His um, sovereign mind and plan and will to bring onto the kingdom of God. So that is the nature of the kingdom now. But we are awaiting. We are looking forward to this consummation. And this is what helps us not to sorrow as those who have no hope. But sorrow, we do experience. Weeping, we do. We weep. We sorrow. We suffer. But then we also rejoice and celebrate. In other words, the Christian is it's a wonder of sorts. Because we are realists, but with an unshakable optimism. You know, we, we are true realists. We can look at life and we know what it's like, what it's about. We can see pain and suffering and disaster in the face and know why that is happening ultimately in the ultimate sense. It goes back to the fall and to sin and the broken world that awaits to be fixed. It is not being fixed now. The kingdom of God is not social justice now. The kingdom of God is not the ultimate city on a hill now. Notice that addresses both the illusions of the right and the left. Both the right thought that America was going to be the city on a hill. But the city on a hill is not America. It's not any physical nation with physical boundaries. Praise God for America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, would you? Truth be told, would you? No. People are coming here. <laughs> you have to stop them from coming here. Thank God that we have come here. So don't take this to be a criticism of this great nation that I love, even though much can be criticized. But we must acknowledge that America, a political geo-entity, is not the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God awaits consummation. It has been inaugurated and it has no physical boundaries. It has no geopolitical territory that it can be circumscribed to. It does not advance from the dictates and from the policies that issue from the corridors of the seat of power. No. We're, we do not elect Christian princes to the city on a hill. Man, we would just settle for some common folks, right? Common sense people. <laughs> would you settle for that? <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Anyways. <clears throat> and, this, and, and the kingdom of God is not that we're going to liberate all the oppressed and marginalized people of the world. That is what is called today the woke message. The woke mentality. And sure enough, the church, in a great part, has jumped on that bandwagon as well. On the right and on the left. Every time we lack a centrality in Christ, a clarity in the gospel, every time the, the, the objective substance of our faith that issues from the cross, from inauguration of the kingdom, it's advanced all the way to its consummation, we fill our hearts with idolatry and idolatrous illusions of God's kingdom. And we are in for a crude awakening. We're going to be talking more and have a lot to say on the second coming of Christ because this letter addresses some important events. But here we have a very simple outline. And the outline goes like this. If you notice, in verse 14 then, it speaks of Christ. That He died and rose again. And that He is coming back. In that risen glory. And we said last Sunday that He's coming back bodily. Bodily, with a body. We saw the angels. When Jesus Christ ascended, 
We saw that in, in uh, Acts chapter 1, that the angels told the disciples, the same Jesus, the same Jesus, that you have seen go, go up, the same Jesus will return like that. Meaning that Jesus that has eaten with you, that he ate with you, that Jesus that walked with you, that Jesus that had a picnic with you, that Jesus that worshipped with you, that appeared to you for 40 days, bodily and bodily form. Having been resurrected, he's coming back. And then we last Sunday uh, dwelled a little bit on the implications of that as being our hope. And notice, this is a historical hope. When we say historical, it continues. There is a continuity to the history of mankind. What does that mean? The majority of all other religions in the world have a weird kind of hope. And we mention a couple of them. For example, a weird kind of hope is you expecting one day to be fused with the universe. You ask me, I don't like that one. I don't like that. I don't want to be fused with the universe. And another weird kind of hope is that you're going to become a good vibe. Yeah, good energy. We're just going to, we're just going to somehow ascend and become energy. I don't like, I like energy in my body. <laughs> For me to function and live in human body, but becoming an energy, what is that? And then there, there are, there are many, many, uh, views of the end for people because we're spiritual beings and we are looking for some kind of end, happy ending, some kind of ultimate salvation and continuity to our lives. And only the Christian faith addresses that con historical continuity. Why historical? Notice what Jesus says here. Do, don't grieve like those who have no hope because those who died you're going to see them again. We're coming together. We're being reunited with those that sleep or that died in the faith of Christ Jesus. We're coming back together to a reunion, to a community, to a gathering of people. You're going to be raised with a body. And those that are alive, you're going to be transformed also to a resurrected glorious body. So that we may live together as a people, as a nation, as new creation. And that is indeed the crying and the longing of our soul. God addresses that true historical continuity. Some of the old church fathers call this the recapitulation uh, of mankind. That Jesus Christ became flesh to recapitulate man, fallen man. Jesus Christ was born and, and he grew as a child and he was a teenager and he lived as an adult and, and he did all the things that humankind does without sin. What for? It was not a futile exercise in just going through a life. It was that he assumed humanity to heal it. To heal it. To redeem it. As he dies, not for himself because he was without sin, but for humanity. And he rises as that firstborn of new creation. In the sense that he took, takes upon himself the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh. In order to unite us with that glorious, redeemed new body, new creation, to make us that. And bring us into this new creation with Him. That is the substance and the hope of our Christian faith. It's the resurrection of the body. It's the consummation of the kingdom. It's glorification. It's the perfection of our hope. Let me read you a couple of verses here to further support that. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We hear the following there, Philippians 3, beginning in verse 20. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven. You see that? Our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, our true home is in heaven. 
Okay? <clears throat> That's our ultimate allegiance. That's where we have our sights set. As much as we may love, and this does not hinder being patriotic. It shouldn't. Okay? Matter of fact, the better Christian you are, the better citizen of this age and of this nation that you live in, you will be. Okay? But, ultimately, you have a higher citizenship. A higher citizenship. It's the city of God, as St. Augustine would call it. There's a city of men, and then there's the city of God. And in this city of God, we have a citizenship that is in heaven, paid for and bought by the precious blood of the Lamb. And you have been received into that citizenship by grace through faith in Christ Jesus without cost, without price to you. But it cost the Son His life in love for you. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now notice, this heaven is not just simply a spiritual, incorporeal, abstract, ethereal kind of dimension as we will see. It is a new creation. It has, it has body to it. Okay? It has, um, continu- con- continuity of history to this new heavens and new earth. And how do we know that? Because Jesus Christ is the model. He's the prototype. He's the model. He's the prototype. Notice, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. (laughs) That's a great hope. Wow. The body of my Savior in His resurrected glory is the model of the body that I will have in the resurrection. A lot of mysteries there and things that we don't know exactly in detail, but at least we know what it will be like. And we remember Jesus' appearances after the resurrection. He, he appeared to His disciples. And, and that was um, intentional of God in order to complete the canon of Scripture and say precisely these things. The disciples then talk about these stories of seeing the risen Savior and living with Him and eating with Him and sharing with Him and enjoying with Him and having fellowship with Him who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. In order to do that, God has subdued and will subdue and will put down all our enemies. All our enemies. The other thing in the passage uh, that is implicit is judgment. At the consummation of the kingdom, judgment takes place. And all enemies of God and God's people are banished, put away, put out, exterminated, dealt with. The cross, the inauguration of the kingdom is that that event of consummation is certain. That the enemy has been defeated. That all the adversaries have been overcome. But, They are still present with us in some way and affect us in some sense and way. What does that mean? Satan was overcome with the death of Christ. Yet, we hear, be careful, Satan goes about as a roaring lion. And he can affect us. See, there is the already but not yet aspect of God's kingdom. We're looking forward to consummation. At the inauguration, Satan is overcome. 
You stand with Christ and abide in Him. And you resist Him by submitting in, in faith and love and abiding in Christ's Word. And while the enemy attacks and the enemy wants to pounce and the enemy shakes and roars, then it says he flees to the next battle. He just flees for it, right? It just comes right, comes right back the next day. And then there we go again in this battle. The enemy is defeated, but we're still being affected by the presence of the enemy. That is one way in the already not yet. What is another way? Well, another way is sin. Sin. He put away sin by the sacrifice of His body. The Bible says He purged sin. We have been forgiven of the guilt of sin. We have been justified. We are being sanctified now. We have power to begin to please God and live and walk according to His will. But yet at the same time, we still sin. And we still sin in a major way. And we still sin in thought, in word, and deed. And sin is still present in the members of our flesh. Notice that? So that waits for final consummation. And then lastly, we still die, don't we? <laughs> we still die. This body is decaying. It's wasting away. But you know what? Christ's first coming has inaugurated and accomplished Victory over all those enemies that we have mentioned. They are defeated. They have been vanquished. They have been overcome. And at Christ's return, they will be finally put away from our presence, from God's city, from the kingdom of God. And that is our hope. That is our hope. Um, <clears throat> for that, the Lord is going to do something. Let me take it to first, first Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. Notice, first Corinthians 15 could be said to be a parallel passage to first Thessalonians 4. First Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. First Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In the state that we are, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because of the corruption that still dwells in our members. Because sin is still present with us. Notice what it says then. Nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning die. Sleep is a euphemism for death. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In other words, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, some will die before the second coming of Christ, but they will be raised first. And those that remain at the second coming of Christ will be instantly transformed. From a lowly body to a glorious body. From a corrupt body to an incorrupted body. From a mortal body to an immortal body. Notice what he goes on to say. In, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Immortality and incorruption. This deals with life everlasting. But notice, life everlasting without sin. Not only without sin, but without, again, the potential and the ability to sin. We will be immortal and incorruptible. We will no longer sin. <laughs> that is the ultimate hope of the Christian. Because sin bothers the heck out of us. Sin 
What bothers us ultimately is our sin. It's that sin that gets in the way. It's that sin that obscures the glories of Christ and of His kingdom. That is the substance ultimately of the hope of the believer. My Savior, He saved me from sin. Sin not in part, but the whole. He's covered the guilt. And one day, He's going to change from corrupt to incorruption, from mortal to immortal. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Notice as consummation. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. You know why we die? Because of sin. And God takes care of the death part by taking care of the sin part. Your death, your aging problem, you know what our aging problem is? It's a sin problem. <laughs> Praise God for all the advances of science and enabling us to better take care of our bodies and self-care and be better fit and all that. I'm a great believer in all of it. But at the end of the day, I know I'm putting off this flesh, this body. Because it has a sin problem. And, but, but God has taken care of it. In Christ Jesus' death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is... Notice how Paul breaks into him. He breaks into worship. This is the stuff that causes believers to worship. Our faith, our hope, turns into doxology, into worship, for this is what God has done. What do we proclaim? The mighty works of God. And I must again repeat, the mighty works of God is not that He's going to change your personal economy. The mighty works of God is not that He is going to change your relational fortunes. The mighty works of God is not that He's going to deliver you from cancer. The mighty works of God is that He has swallowed up death whole. And Christians are those that wait. They persevere and they wait. And they do not fall away when the economy crumbles or when cancer hits the door or when people abandon us because we know that we are bound for resurrection. For glory. For the kingdom. For the heavenly city. For new creation. And that is true faith. Mark it. That is true faith. Enough of this talk of faith. That is empty, shallow, idolatrous faith by the false prophets of today. Have faith, have faith, confess, name it and claim it. Yes, I will name it and claim it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? That's my naming and claiming. That is the mark of true faith. That is the substance of our victory. In the meantime, we suffer. In the meantime, we do our best. In the meantime, we put one foot in front of the other. In the meantime, we keep going out there and living for the Lord. In the meantime, we give glory to God in the ordinary callings and daily going about of our life and our vocations and our jobs, high and low, rich and poor, whatever our state, whatever our lot, this drives us and compels us and renews us and grounds us. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Notice, this is a victory that the Bible talks about. Who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Consummation of the kingdom is faith turned into sight because of this change. Let me take you to um, here in 1 Corinthians, back up a couple of chapters to verse 13. <clears throat> in other words, there's going to time, there's going to come a time that we will need faith no more because faith turns into sight. Faith turns into sight. And it's come, there's going to come a time that we will have to weigh no more because hope is realized in the event, actually, the homecoming actually happening. It's like you guys, maybe the youth, you're, you're looking forward maybe to graduation. You're looking forward to some type of event. You're, you're, hope, you're hoping for it, right? You know, that's what we do. That's, as Christians, we're hoping for this. And when it happens, we no longer need hope because it's happened. It's here. But, but still, we need hope and faith until that day comes. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, okay? But then face to face. One day. We'll see the, the Savior. Just, as, just in the same way that those disciples saw Him raised. We'll see Him face to face. And we'll eat with Him and sup with Him and drink with Him. And dance with Him. <laughs> Maybe light up a cigar with Him. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Notice the language of knowing, because the language of knowing in the Bible is very significant. Even from the Old Testament, the language of knowing is the language of intimate love. Of, of, of deep, abiding, personal relationship. And I think what God is saying here is, when the kingdom is consummated, I shall know... In other words, I shall intimately and deeply and perfectly love because I will see then and experience then how intimately and deeply and perfectly I have been loved in Christ Jesus. All the hindrances to our fellowship and perfect bond of love with Christ will have been removed. At the end of the day, it's not just that we're looking for a body, a glorified body to have just tremendous fun, even though I know that the best fun is yet to come. I'm looking forward to have a lot of fun at Christ's coming and His consummation. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Some of you think the kingdom is just going to be that, you know, that grumpy, that kind of uh, restrained and restricted life that you want to live and impose on others, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the fun, the celebration, the heavenly celebration with Christ. Holy, yes. But bodily and humanly and glorified. Mm. And at that second coming of Christ, not only... Not only do we just want it because it's just going to be joyous. And it's going to be the grandest time and, and, and the, the, the greatest pleasures. The Bible says that. At His right hand, there is pleasures forevermore. There is pleasures forevermore. The best pleasures are yet to come. And it's not sex. <laughs> Yeah. Notice, notice, notice how we're still in the not yet. <laughs> that we think sex is it. <laughs> right? We think, we think there's nothing grand, grander than that. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> but there is something grander than that. More pleasurable than that. And it is bound up with the person of Christ. Person of Christ. That is why Christians 
Their ultimate allegiance is not their sexual identity. It's not. We have a greater identity. It's not our sexual identity. It's not even our gender. It's not anything. We have a new identity, and it is bound up with being known, loved, perfectly embraced in Christ Jesus and by the triune God. <laughs> Wonder of wonders. We're going to be ultimately delivered from the corrupted identities that we have created for ourselves. The distortion of identity that we have made for ourselves. Because we have corrupted identity and gender. You know, I tell folks, you know, because nice we rail on homosexuals. Oh, man, they're... But you know what? I have messed up my heterosexual identity in a major way. In a major way. I'm looking forward to the day that God will set me right. <laughs> and He sets me right. He sets me right. When I shall know, just as I also am known. <laughs> I look forward to that day. Free of all my addictions and compulsions. Free of all my quirkiness, of all my the things that now bind me to self. Bind me to self. Free. To dance with the Savior. <laughs> to join that dance of the Trinity. We're, we're, gonna, we're doing the attributes of God. One of the old words that was used for, for the relationship, the intra-Trinitarian relationships of God was perichoresis, which is basically a dance, a going around making way for the other and giving a mutual giving to one another. <clears throat> I look forward to that dance. <laughs> what a dance it will be. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It has not entered the heart of men. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. We need a, a, a renewed view of this consummation in Christ. We need a renewed view of the beauties of Christ. So that we, we may be waned from this world that is passing. And now by faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That at the end. At the end is love. It's a per it's, Paul calls it in Colossians, the bond of perfection. And what is love at the end? It is that mutual perichoresis. It's that mutual giving and making way for the other mutually. And giving and knowing and sharing. That's how God lives in his, within His Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they interpenetrate one another wholly, perfectly, without remainder. That's how they live. A God that is one in three and three in one. He is going to bring us into His dance. <laughs> Not obviously into His divine essence. That's... But that divine essence that we could not approach because God dwells in unapproachable light. Alas, that divine essence took my humanity upon him to dance with me, to embrace me, to do the human dance, to redeem the human dance that we have so corrupted. And that human dance is the longing, human dance with God. It's the longing of the soul. The dwelling of God with man. God's gifts are so good that we leave God for His gifts. <laughs> right? They're good. They're good. They're great. But if God, God's gifts are so good, I wonder what the giver must be like. <laughs> what the giver must be like. And now, yeah, we see in a mirror. We see God's gifts. And we walk by faith. But one day, we will see Him face to face. Face to face. Let me give you another verse that supports that and we close. It's found in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. 
First John chapter three, <clears throat> beginning in verse one. First John three, beginning in verse one. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. How do we behold that love now by faith? In a mirror, dimly, hindered by a thousand and one encumbrances in this life. Hindered. But still we behold by faith. We begin to behold. We begin to taste. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you begun to receive the love of the Father? Have you begun this dance in the Spirit? And I'm not talking about that crazy dance. You may be the most still in your in your pew and be dancing with God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. There is the miracle. There is the dance. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Notice, it's been inaugurated but not consummated. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Christ. In human, glorified humanity. Fullness of spirit in that glorified humanity, and we shall be like him in union with Christ forever and ever. Verse 3 Notice the implications for us. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. <laughs> this is the stuff of our sanctification. It's Christ centered, it's Christ grounded. It's Christ's resource. This is the source of our comfort. This is the object of our faith. This is the aspiration of the true bride of Christ. These are the visions by faith. The visions that we begin to see. The signs that we come to in bread and wine. The reunification. The consummation of the kingdom. Face to face. With our risen Savior, shoulder to shoulder, with the glorified saints, from beauty to beauty, in renewed creation, having the best time of our lives forever and ever. Amen. The peace of God be with you, saints. Amen.